Give me a little bell. Alright folks, welcome to the Sugar Bench Adventure Podcast. For this week's episode, we're talking to Dan Rothermel. So uh, Dan, thanks for taking the time to be on today. It's good to be here with you, Randy. Oh, thanks. So in my mind, there's so many reasons as to why um, I'm excited to have you on. So hopefully uh, listeners and can bear with me as I, I get through a little inter- introduction. So first, there's your work as a beloved educator of 40 years. Whether it's fifth graders in Tempe, Arizona, middle schoolers in Kittery, Maine, or pre-service teachers at the University of New England. And I don't want to forget that you're an accomplished author, athlete, and um, based on your blog and all-around adventure with your wife, too. Beyond that, I've seen glimpses of your effort to be the best husband, father, and grandfather that you can be. And I think one of my earliest takeaways from you and your wife, Hannah, is your uh, teamwork and courage to show love to those around you. And I also think that um, your United Nations flag in your driveway is really cool too. So um, you express how you feel through what you say, your actions, and your written word. So this proof of concept is was and is still important to me. So to see someone walking the walk is, is really encouraging. Additionally, you can see your hard work justified in the children that you and your wife have raised and the grandchildren that you love. So having you on is kind of selfish for me too, and that I want to have the courage to lead with less ego and with more love and clarity. So I'm reaching out to people that I think can help. So in your most recent blog post, you gave readers a a great glimpse into your approach, and I think it provides more perspective than I could offer. So if you'll allow me, I'll share. I think it was at 202 words, Dan? I think so. Okay. was a limited kind of first draft bit of writing, Mandy. I, li- I like it though because it's kind of raw and you can tell that it just kind of flowed a little bit. So this piece is called I Don't Remember and um, so I'll, I'll do my best with it here. So I don't remember. I don't remember exactly when I saw my life as possibilities rather than expectations. I was the good boy, got along with everyone. I got good grades, was reasonably athletic though not exceptional in either case, I followed the company line, and by that, I mean what my, mo- what my father wanted. He was the high school principal, and I don't remember when, but I was not going to rock the boat. I went to a good college in Ohio where my dorm friends were either valedictorians or salutatorians. I was not. I do remember graduating 61st out of 594 at Fairlawn High in New Jersey. At college, I remember that this is where Me, my being the good boy started to get me down, let me down. I had trouble making friends. Classes were teachers blabbing and me trying my damnedest to memorize enough to get by with a B. And then I had enough of being the obedient poli-sci major. I transferred my senior year to Arizona State to try my hand at teaching. I don't remember exactly when I ended up under the bushes at Grandy Gamage Auditorium with a flask-sized bottle of Southern Comfort, but I was far enough away where other rules, others' rules didn't apply. So that's Dan Rothermel <laughs> in a nutshell, maybe. I'm sure you can fill that out, but I guess I just want to say thank you and uh, welcome to the podcast. Well, it's fun hearing you read that because that was just written a week ago or so, so that's fun. 
Yeah. So when I read it, I was like, oh my goodness, that, that brings us all the way back to, um, you know, New Jersey and then Ohio and then, um, all the way to, to Arizona. So I think that's where I want to start. Like, I know you, um, as someone that had, had already been a father and, and a grandfather, but in terms of your origin story, who and what influenced you early on? Obviously your, your, um, your family has been really important to you. It has, it has, uh, you know, I was just kind of going through the motions, Andy. I, I wasn't really thinking what I wanted and it wasn't until I took the step of just transferring my senior year from the college of Worcester to Arizona state where I just, uh, I, I'm doing this for me at last. So there, uh, from there, I, I did get to teach and my first teaching job was in Anaheim, California. I was teaching, uh, a mix of Chicano, African-American, Anglo kids in Anaheim, California, just south of Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. And then it was about 1970, and I was I had a low draft number. And it was a time where, uh, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to be a part of this war that I didn't believe in? Right. And so that's the time I applied to be a conscientious objector. Right, And so I, I just wasn't going to go, I wasn't going to go to Canada, but I just wanted to make a statement. And that really kind of forced me, that low draft number really forced me to, to make a statement. The government, as it is, took a long time and eventually said, well, we don't really want you, which right. really suited me fine. And so for the first 10 years of our marriage to Hannah, mm -hmm. we, I taught in Arizona and we lived there, and I would say the first mentor was a, a professor, Lynn Nelson, and he was one who got me into journaling, mm. got me into writing, and really got, kind of affirmed what I was doing. Uh, I just felt like I was under judgment so much at the time, and Lynn was great, and he just started me into journaling, and one of the things I remember is I'm now on my 173rd spiral notebook. Are you serious? Yeah, I've, I've done it for about 30, you know, I started it there in the 70s, and now it's pretty much consistently been doing for 30 years. Let me tell you, the one thing that got me to really get serious about my writing was I was hired, I'd been an elementary school teacher, and then I was hired to be a language arts social studies teacher in Summersworth, New Hampshire, once mm -hmm. we had moved back east. And I thought, if I'm going to teach writing, I have to be a writer. Right. And the journaling allowed me to do it. And it just affirmed that I could do it. And I wrote for more than 2,000 straight days. Oh, my I mean, goodness. That's, that's five years. I mean, I didn't miss a day. And ironically, the time I missed, the night I missed after five plus years, I woke up at 1220 in the night. You did? Yeah. And a little bit, Andy, it was a... Uh, it was kind of a relief. I had kind of established that I was, I was a writer. Yeah, that's cool. And your your blog too. I just want to plug that a little bit too for, for people. Um, it's www.over60hiker.wordpress.com, and then the sixty is six zero, so over60hiker.wordpress.com. And I was amazed at that. I'd started going through your post recently since we've had more time, and um, you started that in December of two thousand ten. It's been going on a long while, and 
and I think it's the consistency. I post every Saturday morning, and mm-hmm. I'm just kind of looking for subjects and working through it. Now, one of the things is different from the piece you just read. Uh, the hardest thing when I write for me is to get something down. You right. know, I know that an event is is meaningful, mm-hmm. but how to get it down and where will I begin? It's not thought out at all for me. So what I do, and that's where that kind of the advent of the computer has been really helpful. I just kind of sit down and let it rip at that point. I have something, then I have a draft and it's like, I take a breath and I say, okay, I've got something. Maybe it's 50%, maybe it's 60%. And then I get to do with a favorite part of my writing is I love drafting. Yes. I just love doing it. It's like people who play golf and they love to practice. Mm-hmm. You know, they love to get out. And in a sense, my round of golf is when I post, so so it goes public. But I I love to draft. I love to tinker with it. I love to get it better and better. And then eventually, the thing about writers, what they need to do is, I believe, is they need to get themselves out there. And that's what mm-hmm. the Saturday deadline does. I mean, you could continue to work on something forever and just get it a little bit better and a little bit better. And then nothing happens. You're, you're not really a writer. You're something else. And I think right, part of writing is publishing. Right. And, and that, that leads me to the, the next kind of point, too. Like, it seems like to be a writer like you, you can't be um, so tied up in being a perfectionist, but you have to be detail-oriented enough to be able to go back and revise your work and tinker. And, you know, so it has to be, you have to walk that tightrope, it sounds like. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think too much of schooling, you being an educator, know this. Mm-hmm. I think it's too much geared towards perfection. Mm-hmm. I think it should be much more, and you... We've talked about this, a growth mindset, that mm-hmm. I'm looking at the effort, I'm looking at the, the progress I'm making, and that's the important part rather than the finished project. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another important part is when I finally realized writing could be playful. Right. That, and I, just, I just loved it. I, uh, I don't know if you're going to get to this, but I was uh, you know, a university professor for a while, mm-hmm. and I taught how to teach writing to pre-service teachers, you know, elementary, middle, and high school. Right. And I just felt like I had to follow along and just keep trying and do it and do it and having them give it their best shot, give it their best shot because it's getting out there because the kids are so concerned that they've got it right. And too often, too much of my education was how good I how good my grammar was, how mm-hmm. good my sentences were, rather than, no, start with kids having to find out they care about writing, that writing allows them to uh, express themselves, shows that they have meaning and they they have value, which I think writing can do. You, you have it down on the paper and you have value. This is something that matters to you and can matter to others. And, and, and on that note, what, where did you land as a college professor in terms of um, like a permission giver? Because as a school counselor, I have a lot of students that, that want to share, but there's a, there's a real danger in that vulnerability. Um, and then when you give them the permission to, it's like the floodgates open up. Did you ever experience that with your, your students where they really wanted to share, but it was really yeah, scary? Yeah, it is interesting. One of the things I, 
I did. Here's what I would do for students. I ran a writing workshop in my classroom, and I tried to model that in at the university. And I had students do drafts, or mm-hmm. what I call 10-minute writing experiments, a little bit like the, the I Don't Remember that you just read. Right. And I would have them write something, and it would basically, Andy, come from a prompt that I had done. I, I didn't usually have, well, just write anything you want. Sometimes with students who are not confident in the writing, when you say you can write about anything, they have nowhere to go. That totally blocks them off that way. They need a little bit. So I would give them a prompt. And then, and it might have read after, been after something I showed a clip of a, a film or I read something to them. And then I would do another one the next day. And I would do another prompt where they would do this 10-minute writing experiment and then do a third day. Now, I wouldn't read those. I had, as a middle school teacher, I had 100 students. I couldn't read all those. I couldn't read all those. And so I let them know that I wasn't going to read those. If they wrote something that was something uh, personal and expressive, uh, if they wanted to show it to me, then show it to me. But I was not going to go through all your journal notebooks. What I was going to go through was I said, pick one of these subjects. Mm-hmm. And then you take it through the process, and then I would do it. So I was always concerned about journal writing. I never really did that with students because it meant that I had to read everything. Right. And if they had written something, and they had written something exposing something, and I hadn't read it... I, I just wanted to be clear. Now, this was a place for ideas, and then we'll take something through the process. So maybe a little bit, that's what I did to kind of manage the workload and maybe manage, you know, could I handle everything that they might be bringing to me as college students or as middle school students? Yeah. Are you, so when you, you write every day, are you still surprised at sometimes how, um, uh, stories can take a turn or go in a place that you had no idea they were intending. Like it, it reminds me of that when you talk about when you free write and ideas can come up with your students, sometimes those turns or those developments that happen on the paper, um, are, they, they come from outside, maybe our conscious thought. Do you still experience that at all? Oh, that's how I write. That's yeah. exactly how I write. And I even talked to my students. I, I don't have an outline of right. how I'm going to do it. And where the training I had at the University of New Hampshire with Donald Graves, Donald Murray, and Tom Newkirk, and Jane Hansen, were all that you start and you have no idea where it's yeah. going to go. Right. I have no idea. And it's often it's kind of fun. I yeah. mean, I had no idea the piece you read was going to take me to underneath a yeah. with my college roommate, you know, as he came, he transferred in as well. Uh, drinking some Sutherland Comfort. I mean, I sure. had no idea it was going there. And that little bit, Andy, it's the fun part of it. Oh, I wonder where this is going. Yeah, that it reminds me of um, the the book that I've really, really loved about writing. And, and I see when you talk about growth mindset, I, I think of myself as um, I look for things that I do when no one tells me what to do. And um, I find myself jotting things down and in, in listening to sounds and, uh, and observations. And there's a book called on writing well by William Zinzer. 
and in that book, he, um, he says, look for your material everywhere. Look at signs and billboards and all the junk written on the American roadside. Read the labels on our packages and the instructions on our toys and the claims on our medicines and the graffiti on our walls. Read menus and catalogs and second-class mail. And, and when I hear that, I'm like, there, there's, there's things everywhere that are true to your experience and, and, and are valid and, and really cool. Um, and you don't need to make anything up. It's just it, the world is interesting. <laughs> absolutely. I agree. Absolutely. For your listeners, one of the things I do now is I write gratitudes. I mean, mm. it's certainly something that's important to do during the time of the coronavirus. But I was doing this before just to have this mindset that I'm appreciative of all the good things that happen and all the people that have made you know my life as good as it is mm-hmm. the interesting part about the gratitudes is then they often they can lead to something else you know yes. it can be a list it could be a sentence i generally write a sentence and that's part of my you know one page a day and i write really big so it it takes me four or five minutes it's not this overwhelming task that people have to do no just uh Five things you, uh, you're grateful for, three things. But I find ideas come from that as I take the time to sit down and just think about what's, what's gone on in my life. Yeah, I think that's a really, really cool tip. And um, it's funny that you mentioned that because uh, last week I was kind of bummed. Um, one of my favorite bike races, the Tour of the Bat Kill, um, well, it kind of sunk in for me that it, it, it wasn't going to happen when it usually does. And I, I kind of reflected on something that I'd written after last year's tour of the bat killing. And I wrote, um, never take a day for granted. They say, and, and I wrote, it's cliche, but these days, every family interaction, every work day, every ride feels important. And that for me was after how I felt after last year's ride. And it, it really helped this year to kind of put it all in perspective. It's like, well, that's how you felt after last year. So let's, let's use that and, and kind of use that gratitude. And it's funny that you mentioned that because I, I think that you can look at things from a positive way or a negative way. And that leads me to, to kind of my next question about how are you and your family impacted by um, the coronavirus at this point? Uh, we're very fortunate. We're very fortunate. Mm-hmm. Uh, one, I've been retired nine years, and so is Hannah from her uh, hairstyling business. Yeah, And so we've been used to finding things to do and we're also in a little town in maine so we're not new york city by any means right we are social distancing we are Mm -hmm. you know we're not we're not going out at all i mean restaurants here the beaches in maine are closed the governor closed the motels so there aren't people here but we are able to get out right Uh, there's a local golf course that you know we see people 50 60 feet away but we're not able to get out and now being a a somewhat of a bike rider you inspire us Uh is that it's the weather finally in maine is getting a little bit warmer for us that are you know do it just in the spring (laughs) summer and early fall so we're able to get out more but it's you know, I've given up, we've given up two of the biggest things we like, and that is uh, playing pickleball. Pickleball, it's, yes. Yeah, we were, Hannah and I were both college tennis players, and now I hadn't played for 40 years, and then pickleball for old folks has really been a great source of activity, but even more than that, the relationships of people that we we connect with up in Saco, about 30 miles away, down in Kittery, 10 miles, it just 
that and then the other part to get a hard workout it's nothing like walking just is it's fine walking's yeah. fine mm-hmm. but it's nothing like going to the gym right you and, know where i work on the elliptical and i can do the recumbent and it measures my heart rate and i can just crank away that's why i'm excited about just getting out on the country roads we live out on the country road as you know having been here yeah that's just a great place to ride and maybe like where you are there are not as many cars around oh it's it's quiet yeah they're yeah, just just yeah. the the tractors and manure trucks right now <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's a, it's a great place to ride so uh we're doing really well we're you know retired we you know a lot of things were to retirement that you know, it's whether it's good or not are two things, basically. Do you have your health? Right. And we have our health, and do you have some money? Yes. And so we're able to kind of do the things we are. We're not pressured about losing a job. In fact, we're at the point we just got our stimulus check. Right. And we're at the point where we want to think, who can help us out? And who can, excuse me, who can we help out Yeah. during this time? And the ones that come to mind are, we know three ministers, one down in Massachusetts, one locally, and another I have known for 40 years out in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And what we want to do is, you know, be part of the, the solution and ask them, because they know the people that are hurt. Yeah, You know, right. they know a family. Great. We're, we're so lucky to be able to do that. I mean, I really feel like we're really lucky to do that. Yeah, I feel like there, there's a silver lining for us too. Um, I, I just looked at the calendar and we've been working from home, Sarah and I, for the last 42 days. And um, in my whole time as a dad, I've never spent 42 days every day um, in and around my kids. And it's um, there's a lot of hard times for people right now. And, and we feel l- lucky too, um, despite everything. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I feel like a lot of listeners, hopefully they, they go to YouTube and check out um, what pickleball is at this point <laughs> okay yeah because you got to see it you got to see it i think right, right it is cool right. um it, talking about family and, and parenting too um i there was a quote from the the book that you sent um sweet dreams robin and i wanted to read through the quote and then maybe you could just give us like some kind of background and context for me um it shows how we can face incredible adversity and and come through it and and find power uh, in that too. So I want to read a quote from a uh, sweet dream, sweet dreams, Robin. Uh, it's a quote from, uh, April 8th. And, um, so that just to, to preface this, this is kind of like, um, um, a poetry type book, but, but it reads, it reads like a story too, which is cool. So April 8th, how do you do it? I couldn't do it. If it was me, I just do. The strength was always there. But until I needed it, I just didn't know it. Anyhow, I had no choice. Robin needed me. So can you give us some context for that and kind of what that was like to, to dig deep a little bit for you and Hannah there? Yeah. For uh, your listeners, our daughter Robin, we have three kids. Will was a college roommate of yours. Yes. And then he had an older sister by two years, Robin, and then they both had an older sister, Molly. Uh, who was two years older than Robin. But at the time, Robin was diagnosed with leukemia. She was four years old. <laughs> and that just didn't happen to uh, families like ours. Right. Someone has, 
you know, it's blood cancer. I didn't even really know it was cancer. I, mm-hmm. you know, I learned that leukemia was blood cancer and we just had, we just had no choice. We had no choice. I was a school teacher in Summersworth, New Hampshire at the time. School systems typically, at least our experience, was very supportive. Right. Uh, and there were times where she was in the hospital. She, in the beginning stages, she just wouldn't eat. And we were told that people who are going through chemotherapy and radiation, uh, food tastes like aluminum foil. Right. Landy, how much food would you eat if it tastes like aluminum, aluminum foil? It makes my teeth hurt thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, and she just wouldn't eat, so she was hospitalized. Mm-hmm. And what uh, schools were able to do is Hannah would go up on Monday and Tuesday and stay with her, and then Tuesday night I would go to Portland. We live in York, Maine, about 40 miles to the south. Hannah and I would have pizza at Lisa's Pizza, Yes. and then I would stay, spend Wednesday, and the school was great. You know, they gave me that day, and then Hannah got to be home with the other kids, Uh it was great. It was just something we had to do. Yeah. And which I didn't think I had the courage or the uh, the confidence to do it, but you just have to do it. Mm-hmm. And we were also given at the time, so this was late 80s, so this is, wow, more than 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, even then, she was given a 90% chance of surviving. And so we had a lot to go on. It wasn't right. like... Well, you got a, there's a small chance. No, we had a lot to go on. And so we, uh, we just, we just kind of did it. And it's, we're fortunate Hannah and I had each other. You know, an interesting part, I think, is that we also had two other kids. And that allows us to meet their needs. Two year old Will, he doesn't know his sister has cancer. Right. He's just a two year old. He needs to, he needs the attention he has. And Molly is six. She's starting school and she needs her attention. And that was really good for us to be able to not just focus every bit of our identity and our energy on one kid that was sick. And it really, really was helpful to have other kids at that time. That's incredible. Um, you, you mentioned Will and, and I've been lucky to know Will, your son, for um roughly the the past 20 years and I consider him one of my greatest friends and it I was reminded of, of Will when um I was reading through your your parenting advi- advice that you sent out and this was originally from when Tip and Molly um were having their their first child and um I, I saved it and and I I revisit it often and and in there um you said um and you were talking about Tip and Molly you said you two are the foundation. Strong, happy, loving couples lead to strong, happy, loving kids. Kiss whenever you have your partner's face near yours. Talk a lot and don't always try to be right. Being right matters less than you might think. Be generous whenever you can. And um, Will Will shared with me earlier this week, he said, the greatest gift that you can give your children is the love of their mother. And it was interesting how those, those two themes kind of locked um, there you know, your advice and then, and, and, and then Will's quote, do you feel like you embodied that? I mean, obviously that sunk in for your, your son. Um, I, for me, when I think about it, there was a post in your, on your blog about, um, how when Hannah, she lost a sandal and, and I feel like you kind of like you had, you bit your tongue a little bit and turns out you found the sandal later on. And it was a funny story, but I just feel like that was a, a time where being right or, 
nobody's right. It just, it just kind of is. And I just feel like there's a lot of connection between you and your daughters and your son with regard to that. Well, let me just tell them a little background on the sandal story. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was maybe 30 miles south of where you live. Oh, are you serious? It was in Albany. Okay. And we were going from Maine to SeaWorld in Ithaca, and we changed drivers, you know, on the side of the road, you know, the New York Thruway. Yes, busy. And I somehow, <laughs> when I got out, lifted up by lifting my foot out, lifted out Hannah's sandal. <laughs> and we had no we had no idea until we were heading down towards, I think it's Route 88. It goes from Schenectady towards Binghamton, yes. Interstate 88. Mm-hmm. And we were getting, stopping for a coffee, and Hannah's looking for a sandal. Oh, no. And it was, oh, my God. And it, it was... It was a nice it was a sandal. sandal. It, it, was it, a it wasn't sandal. A, like a flip flop. It was a it was a very nice uh, Birkenstock. Or, yeah, and, uh, yeah. And she bit her tongue, <laughs> but she was she was steamed that that happened. And I thought, well, I was just getting out. Uh, well, we we didn't go back because it was maybe an hour back there to do it. But we just talked about. It. Eventually, got to the point where we said, well, let's go back there. Yes. We will come back that way. We can remember where we went on the highway. Right. And we think we knew. And we were heading back home. And it was on the opposite side of the road. And then we turned around. And it had rained over the weekend. We were at Will's. Yeah. And we found it there. <laughs> found it there. We were just, <laughs> well, yeah. Happy wife, happy life. Yeah. yeah. That was, uh, that was good. Interesting. Will remembers that that line because that was really important. I think, you know, you and Sarah can do it. I mean, your kids—they need so much of you. But the really the foundation is you and Sarah. Right. That way, I really do. I mean, if you two are doing well, if Hannah and I are doing well, then we can be the best parents we can be. Uh, one of the things we did that I think was one of the best things growing up is we would have a date. Andy, every Saturday morning, Hannah and I would have a date at Bill Johnson's Big Apple in Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah. And it was something we could look forward to. And it was an hour and a half. That's all it was. But we'd have a babysitter. And I don't know if you remember the time. Well, you do remember the time when you have young kids. And, you know, in the evening, we couldn't really hold a meaningful conversation. Right. We were just so tired. We were just so tired. But this is something we could look forward to, could count on. And it was 7.30 in the morning. We just had each other's attention. Right. And then we could do the rest. We could do all Saturday. We could do all Sunday. And then do the rest of the week. Anyway, it was one of the best things we did. But, you know, taking care of each other and taking care of ourselves. Yeah, that it sounds like that's the foundation, too. So in in that email, I, I'm sure I'm sure you re- recall all that stuff. But I, I mean, I, I think there's almost 20, 20 different bullets. I mean, there, there's a there's a lot there. It, it wasn't just a um, you know something you're like, yeah, this this is just some advice here. I mean, I, I, you really took some time to to think about that. I I I don't think we have time to go through them all today. <laughs> but okay. I wish there I wish there's a way I could point to to the. I mean, it's on your blog. I think. Um, but I know as a parent, it's very encouraging for me. Um, to, so, for example, the one is um, help your children stay in touch with their feelings. They rule. 
If they are in touch with their feelings and lean in the direction of what feels good, they will be closer to seeking joy. Instead of asking what the score was, ask how they did and how they felt. It's simple. And that, that as a school counselor and a coach is so important for me because I, my performance, whether it's in work or as a, uh, as a husband or as someone that as an athlete has always improved when I just competed with myself. Um, it's nice to have competition in other people, but I, I need to, I need to try my best and, and try to beat my best effort. And I feel like when you get your, your, um, children in touch with, well, did that feel good? Were you happy with your effort? Did you try your best? I mean, those are all themes that in the school, there's just not enough of, you know, it's, it's, um, or, or in homes for that matter. So there's, there's lots on there that I, I really appreciate. Well, the biggest thing is how you and Sarah model for your kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you tell them, you know, it's a growth mindset where it's your effort that counts and then you don't show that. Yes. But it's, it's just great how, you know, you can do it. Wow. I really did well because we know in so many sports, especially with pickleball. And those of you briefly don't know pickleball. It's like a paddle game with a whiff ball on the court, two thirds the size of a tennis court. Anyway, I play people that are so much better than I am. Yes. And if I hit some good shots, that's fine. The score it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. And nobody, nobody remembers after the morning. We remember what kind of time we had with each other. Yeah, that's, that's so true. Um, it's funny too. I always remind my kids like after Tuesday night, um, we do loops around here. There's a really competitive, um, bike group. And I always remind the kids like, cause they think that I'm, you know, fast cause I train, but I'm not. And, and I always remind them like, I was really happy guys. Cause I got to stay with the, the lead group today, you know, like I didn't get dropped in the middle of, of nowhere. And, and so I think that that's so important to model that one of the tips, Absolutely. one of the tips that you, um, that you wrote down was, uh, be outside as much as possible to show and feel the connection of human and nature to breathe fresh air and, and to feel cold and hot and see the cycle cycles of days and seasons, the unpredictable and uncontrollable forces we are given. And I thought that was really cool. Um, we're lucky to have room for kids to go outside and, and play, but there, there's so it's like a, it's like a learning laboratory out there for our kids. And I just feel like that's so important. It is, you know, it makes me think of one of the things uh, we do. We did well. I think we look at our own kids, Molly and her husband, Tip and Will and Laurel and say, wow, they're really good parents. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we reached that standard. But one of the things we did was that we took them, and fortunate being a school teacher, is we took them west hiking and camping. You know, we didn't stay in motels. We drove, you know, in two days, we would drive 2,000 miles Mm. just to get to Wyoming. And then we would camp. And it's not expensive to do that. And our entertainment was hiking at that time. And I think uh, just those experiences have really made a difference in their lives. They have see that as something that you naturally do. And it, and it, it just, uh, it's been experience, I think, has made a big, big difference in their lives, certainly in our lives together. One of the tips, if you ever do that and you have children, is have two tents. Oh, we right. Have mom and, we have a mom and dad tent and we had a kid's tent. And the kids were in their tent, and we were in ours. They had to put their tent up. They had certain responsibilities of the cooking, but we all needed a break, and they needed a break from us as well. 
but the two tenths was a was an important thing. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. So, um, speaking of, of breaks in the middle here, I wanted to throw a lightning round in. That's kind of fun. Um, so you, you don't need to elaborate on these. You just we're looking for one or two word responses. So, all right. So I, I've got how many do I have here? Oh, I've got five questions. So you can handle these, Dan. All right, so you mentioned you you and Hannah have done plenty of hiking, um, and I've seen uh, pictures of you guys on trails that I don't I don't think I would be comfortable on. So, what do you eat on the trail side that keeps you focused? What's your favorite trail side snack? You know, we're pretty much the raisins and nuts, but as I thought about it, it dried apricots. Oh, is it? Oh, they're so yeah, good. Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah, I don't eat much meat, so I need that for some iron. Right. Who would win in a game of pickleball, you or your son, Will? Well, I played more. Right. I played more, so I would win. Good. I would win. See, I, uh, that goes back to growth playing. mindset. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I'd win. <laughs> I love it. Maybe not in a game of horse. Uh, no, no, no. Oh, just ping pong, 100 sports, but he hasn't played enough. Yes. Uh, he would eventually beat me. He would eventually beat me. It, it, Will has a pretty awesome jump shot. Have you rebounded much for him in his life? We did, we did. Yeah, we had a basket and the, on the driveway, and we would rebound. He he put in the time to get where he was. He's incredible. Um, the best meal you've ever cooked? Well, I married a great woman who oh does the goodness. cooking, but what God I do Anna. for everyone, and I'll do it for you when you come, is I make oatmeal with yes. raisins, blueberries, almonds, walnuts, chia seeds, flax, sunflower seeds, protein powder, and Andy cinnamon. Oh my goodness. It's great. I dig oh, it. Oh, it's really good. <laughs> what, what, what's your favorite movie, Dan? The Graduate. Oh, classic. Classic. The Graduate. And yep. as a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, interesting. I, I thought about it. It's a forest ranger. Oh, yes. In the woods. Yes, <laughs> yes a forest ranger. Never now. I wouldn't want to be that now. But as an eighth grader, I was. I remember I had to do a report. Forest ranger. That's so cool. So on that topic of kind of growth mindset, I, I've been thinking more about um, a quote that I read from Jocko Wilnick, and he, he talks about how discipline equals freedom. It's consistency. It's putting yourself in hard situations, making yourself uncomfortable. Um, and are there things right now that you're currently working hard to, to improve upon, or are there things that you want to make gains in? Well, I know when you said... Dan, would you interview me for my podcast? I yes. thought, whoa, I've done this for a while. And I was I was talking to Hannah about this. This reminds me of interviewing interviewing for college jobs. Oh, right. When I first interviewed for Eastern Connecticut State and then later at Colby Sawyer and the University of New England, it was like, wow, this was high stakes. You know, I wanted it to go well. And I thought, well, and I had a quote, and I wish I could find where it's from. But somebody said, Andy, if once you're 55, and it probably applies to once you're even younger, but once you're 55, if it scares you, do it. Right. And doing this really, you know, scared me. Yes. I mean, I'm not scared, scared, but I thought, uh, you know, I'm I'm good at pickleball. So when I go up there, it's not it's not scary to play pickleball. But doing this, so this was one of those things that I thought I'm going to do it. I like Andy, and I just want to do it, and maybe it'll be worthwhile well i i appreciate it not only for me but um i too am working on putting making myself um be in uncomfortable situations more and and because 
I found that um, when I take my own advice and when I do things that I'm initially uncomfortable with, I usually look back on it with a sense of um, achievement or accomplishment. And, and as a school counselor, that's where I've, I've gotten better at. I've started to follow my own, own advice. You know, I've gotten to write things down. I've, I've set short-term and long-term goals. I've worked hard to um, just be, be the person that, that you would like to have in your life. And so I, I am so happy that you, you decided to, uh, to jump on here. It, with regards, uh, yeah, go for I'm it. I'm very happy to have done it. Cool. With regard to being uncomfortable, um, this is one of our last topics. It, some of those pictures that that you've posted on your blog, it, it really looks dangerous. Um, how how do you how do you guys deal with situations where you're like, how in the world did we get here? Because um, I I know there's there's some situations where you can't you can't predict what conditions you're going to be in. Uh, it's true. It's true. And we did. Uh, I don't know if your listeners know of Angel's Landing. It's a mesa, a small mesa on, at, on a mountaintop in Zion National Park. Okay. And we had pulled in. We had one of the trips where we took the kids west. We had pulled into the visitor center, and we asked them, do you have a family hike? And this 22-year-old intern said, ah, oh, Angel's Landing right. is this. And we thought, great, we'll go on Angel's Landing. Will was eight. Robin was 10 and Molly was 12. And we just thought, eh, we'll do this. And so the first two miles are switchbacks and it's not dangerous at all. The last half mile, Andy, you are holding on to chains 1,500 feet above the valley floor. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah, you're holding on. And we thought, well, this can't be that dangerous. Remember, this is Will. He was eight years old. Yes. Uh Robin at the time said, eh, this isn't for me. She was the smartest one of the bunch. <laughs> and, but then we went on thinking, I don't, I don't know. We really, I don't know. We, we did say to ourselves, we are not going to be parents of the month. Yes. If this doesn't go well. Yes. And you're hanging on to change. You eventually get to it. And we, uh, I mean, it's such a great feeling. Now we've gone on, we've gone on that subsequently 30 years later, uh, we haven't gone on it with the kids, our kids, and uh, but it, it, there's such a satisfaction, and we thought, can we do this as 65 year olds? Can we, you know, hang on to these chains because it could tighten up? Yeah. And if people can go on and look, do it. Having someone do a YouTube on hiking to Angels Landing in Zion National Park. Yes. Uh, but and it definitely it was. Whoa, this was something. That's cool. I have to check that out now because I've always I, I've read about the um, the White Rim Trail, and that's um, it's a bike route that you can do in a gravel bike, and um, they say you can do it in a day. It's over a hundred miles, and it's um, I, I want to say it's in Arizona, but I'm not familiar with that area, and so w- we want to get out there at some point too. So maybe this will yep. be the, the spark to do it. Can you can you leave us Dan with any recommendations? Um, podcasts, books, music recipe and anything really uh right the first off i have a book that i just read recently and it's called the obstacle is the way Mm. it sounds like andy it sounds like you i think you will love this book it's by uh ryan holiday yeah and it's to it's more not it's more than just well i'll get through this challenge no the challenges are what make your life give it the quality 
the vibrance to it. It's it's a really good book. Yeah, I'm currently then, re- I'm currently reading uh, Stillness is the Key from from Ryan Holiday right now. Ah, yeah, there you go. So, but I haven't checked go. out that book, so now I now I need to. Yes, yeah, love Ryan, and he's a young guy. Yeah, he's, he's good. Than you are. Yeah, he's really good. Yeah, but, the other one is just for fun is Where the Crawdads Sing mm. by Dahlia Owens. Yes. What a good book. Book, best book I've read in the last year. They, she weaves a story. It's fiction, mm-hmm. but she weaves a story uh, in the swamplands of North Carolina near the near the ocean. Really good. Sarah's reading that right now, and she she um, she's trying to get me to read it. So, <laughs> oh, it's the best. Oh, oh um, that's so cool. There, there are two two books in my in my um, in my you know realm here that I could I could take in. So hopefully yeah. other people like those too. Movies, uh, <laughs> they are La La Land. Yes. Ryan Gosling and Emma, uh, Emma Stone. Yes. Uh, love that movie. I've seen it ten times. Recently, we've seen The Art of Racing in the Rain. Oh wow! You know that? Yeah, I read that book, but I haven't I haven't seen the movie. The movie's really well done. And then another one, Peanut Butter Falcon. Okay. Do you know that at all? No, I've it's, never heard of that. Uh, a kid with Down syndrome and. He wants to break free, and it's really well done. Really well done. Podcasts, uh, Unlocking Us with Brene Brown. I've never heard of that. Yeah, just started it. That's cool. She started it four weeks ago. And Brene Brown is, I mean, she's just great. She has a quote that I wanted to say for you, and that is, when you're dealing with people, clear is kind. Mm. Clear is kind. Telling them how you feel rather than, not putting it out there. Clear is kind. Yeah. Anyway, unlocking us with Brene Brown. Uh, NPR has one with Sam Sanders called "It's Been a Minute." I like that. It's kind of fun at the end. Freakonomics. Stephen Dubner. So good. Uh, work life with Adam Grant. And then I, I go right to sports in yeah. this time because I, I don't watch cable news at all. I yeah. get a little bit, you know, off my phone, but I just don't go there. And so there's the Tony Kornheiser show and Ryan Rossillo. So good. On the Ringer Netrix. So those are some, I listen to a lot of them. I'm retired. I have time. It's so good. Well, well, that sounds great. Um, like I said, I want to want to direct people to, um, you know, your, your blog at over60hiker.wordpress.com. Um, I've been so fortunate to interact with many great people in my life and whether it's mentors, coaches, college professors at St. Mike's or people like you and Hannah. Um, although I've not spent much time in your company as, as others may have, um, your impact on my family has been profound. My wife, Sarah and I met you through your son and, um, when we were trying to figure out what it meant to be a couple. So with, um, with the support and love of Hannah, you've been able to craft your own idea of what it means to be a husband and a father. And, um, I think that's the biggest theme that I wanted to hit on today, Dan, is like, you've been able to kind of own and be intentional about what it means to be uh, a husband and a father. So we just want to, uh, to thank you for your time and, and we can't wait to get back up to Hannah's loft soon. So, um, yeah, thank you. Well, thank you, Andy. That's very nice of you to say. And I, I love, uh, I love doing this and I love to, uh, when you guys will come. Cool. Well, we will see you soon in, uh, at the back end of, of COVID-19. Thank you, Andy. All right, Sarah, Talk take care. Soon. Yep, bye-bye. Bye-bye.
All right, folks, that's our show. Thanks for listening in. Uh, you can always shoot us an email at sugarbench at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram at the sugarbench. Thanks again for Dan Rothermel for coming on the pod. Um, we hope to see you guys next week. Always try your best.